I think this song is appropriate, um, being that it's like a sauna in here right now. Here are 12 questions that I will often, in some way or another, ask someone who is feeling conflicted or deeply ambivalent towards a person they are in relationship with in order to help them clarify what's going on for them. Things like, is it hard for you to imagine a life without this person by your side? Do you think about them a great deal when you are alone? Do you interact with them to avoid dealing with your problems or to cope with your feelings? Do you plan your life around this other person? Do you find that your friends or lifestyle are determined or kept in the dark regarding your connection to this individual? Have friends or relatives ever complained that your relationship with this person is harming you in some way or damaging your relationship with them or with yourself? Has contact with this person led to any mental or physical health issues which you feel might be directly related to the relationship? Does your relationship allow the two of you to live in a privately defined world that has little connection to more socially defined values and expectations? Have you ever failed to keep the promises you've made to yourself about curtailing the frequency or intensity of your interactions with this person, your time spent together, or any other aspect of the relationship you feel compelled to pursue? Has this relationship caused problems for you with regard to your memory, concentration, or motivation? Is being in contact with this person no longer, for the most part, enjoyable and meaningful, or maybe only sporadically? When this person is not available for you in the way you'd like them to be, or if they were to leave you, would you feel very anxious or upset? Would you start planning how to get them back, rather than accepting that they have gone? If my respondents answer yes to most of these questions, I then reveal to them that all of these inquiries come from MA, Marijuana Anonymous, and that I've just changed the word marijuana to person. For what is, really, an addictive relationship with our love objects, be they people or substances, other than a pattern of subjection or servitude, in the best and worst sense of that word, which is either experienced as fulfilling, for the most part, or not? The year after Nadia's exit was not a good one for the relationship between me and my green girlfriend. It was a year in which all the clichés of addiction, clichés that are not really talked about in the space of zealous positivity and mega-commerce of present-day cannabis culture. They would be like, I don't know, Amazon having a pop-up on their website informing you about CBD. Not hemp CBD, but rather compulsive buying disorders, a.k.a. our shopping addictions. Every year, the UK disposes of two million tonnes of electronic waste, basically any product that has a plug attached to it, which has to be buried in local, but more often than not, international landfill sites. Because, of course, we don't like defecating on our doorsteps, do we? Think about it. Two million tonnes of this stuff. And why? Because we are addicted. Addicted to the new, the shiny, anything which lifts us out of the mundane and gives us an endorphin rush... A high, if you like, and that includes people. If you stay on a dating app long enough, and I have, you will see the same people exiting for some whirlwind romance for six months or a year, and then returning again and again and again. Love is a beautiful thing.
Love addicts and our technology now facilitates all of our addictions more than ever before. So no, you're not going to get a tip-off from the cannabis industry with its two million tons of online cannabis self-care rhetoric and marketing. You're not going to get the tip-off from them about the risks of addiction. Of course not. It's all about how amazing this plant can be for our woes and worries, what an incredible ally it is. And certainly, used in moderation, occasionally, it is amazing. And I still believe that it is much healthier, especially when dry vaped without burning the material with tobacco, than alcohol, which also gets sold to us like it's some kind of magical fun elixir, which it is too. But it's also, if you really stop to think about it, flavoured ethanol, which is one step up from flavoured bleach. You know, bleach with a nice grape or barley taste to it. That thought doesn't stop me drinking it, though. What about you? In the year that followed this weird breakup, I also discovered, much to my distress and annoyance, that all the dumb cliches and truisms about addiction, which you know maybe I thought I might be excluded from by being a somewhat astute and savvy consumer, unfortunately also applied to this schmuck here, this fool, as well-informed as he may initially have thought himself to be. Perhaps this is because clichés and truisms are just another way for our species to package in language the wisdom of experience, the experience of those who have come before us, equally gung-ho in their arrogant certainty and equally taken down a few pegs brought to their knees by the shakedowns and struggles of gnarly old life again and again and again. So here are three dumb clichés about addiction. And I'm not just talking about a cannabis dependency or addiction. I'm talking about any addiction here, including the ones we all pretty much have with our phones and with certain other people. And all of these turn out to be, alas, experientially verifiable and true if you're willing to put some time into testing these propositions. Addicts, of course, are always happy to put in the time. What else have we got to do, right? So here we go. Dumb cliche number one. Instead of using the substance occasionally for a specific intentional purpose, we start using it just to feel okay, to feel normal, to feel like myself or yourself, whatever that means to you. Although I was doing all the right things at the time to get over and work through my breakup, going to therapy, exercising, trying to eat in a healthy way, working on creative projects, pushing myself to be more social, the only time I really felt okay in the year that followed Nadia's departure was when I was lying in bed late in the evening, Max snuggled by my side, watching a film or maybe reading, stoned just enough to follow the words on the page, whilst also zoning out on any feelings, thoughts and somatic sensations. Cocooned is what I was aiming for, cocooned in some secret cubbyhole of the self, the one closest to sleep and death. 
I just wanted to float, really, to numb myself as much as possible through the difficult parts of the day, the parts of the day when I miss Nadia the most, as opposed to fighting the experience of missing her or floundering in it. Cannabis assisted me with this objective to a certain extent, helped me to feel somewhat okay in the cage of myself. When not using the drug, the stupidly romantic and idealistic cage of the Enneagram 4 felt like an oppressive prison, which it is, no doubt. Any self is a cage in which our life force is often trapped. A prison that I saw no way of escaping from or spending time outside, other than when accompanied by my green ally. Dumb cliche number two. On a purely utilitarian level, we start to question whether the negative side effects of the drug are starting to outweigh its benefits. I remember sitting in the garden that spring after Nadia's departure, a Saturday morning, surveying the hundreds of tulip and gladioli, alliums and irises we'd planted together the summer before with the assurance that we would be enjoying them as a couple the following year. A celebration of the seasons was what we had in mind for the garden, and especially a celebration of spring, the season in which we had met and fallen in love in such a magical and unrepeatable way. The sadness and loss triggered by each new wave of colour as it pushed itself up out of the earth was so intense and piercing that it took my breath away, as in the initial stages of a panic attack. At that point, of course, I would take myself inside, away from the tormenting beauty of our flowers, and get high in order to soothe myself, which, if anything, only made the suffering more acute. Cannabis amplifies introspection and navel-gazing, which can be great if you're seeking a spiritual or creative experience, but this was not the sort of amplification that was helping me to recover from the breakup, quite the opposite. Often, when I did get high, alongside a slight numbing of the emotional pain, which is what I was looking for, and a less, shall we say, fettered perspective on Nadia's ghosting, I would also have to deal with uncomfortable feelings of embodied anxiety, muscular tension and fidgetiness in my system, which I didn't enjoy one bit. Exercise, meditation, dancing, walking didn't seem to rid me of these sensations. I also didn't enjoy the spike in appetite that comes with using the drug and would need to lock food away so as to not overindulge. I more often than not woke up with a food hangover that year after eating too much, too late, and this only turned into a vicious cycle of struggling through the day and then waiting even more expectedly than usual for evening to come when I could finally, once more, be with my green girlfriend watching YouTube videos on various esoteric topics whilst chomping my way through my emotional distress. Dumb cliche number three. We start to feel trapped by our usage, trapped by the belief that living without it would be a significant and irreversible diminishment of our well-being and fulfillment. One memory stands out for me in that Nadia empty summer that followed her departure. 
It was a Sunday afternoon. I was stoned and on the tube with Max, heading towards the Chilterns for a walk and trying not to think of Nadia and her new beloved frolicking and cavorting hand in hand through their own dreamy and enchanted, love-tinctured weekend as we had once done. My attention was drawn towards a couple, two men in their 60s, who were involved in what looked like a very meaningful exchange with another couple of a similar age. The love, sympathy and tenderness in the eyes of these two, who were completely involved in whatever tale their friends were relating to them, touched my heart deeply. And at that moment I had this thought, a thought I would often have that year, when I saw people immersed in their day-to-day lives in some enjoyable or heartfelt way, which was this. Wow, they seem to be having a good time so connected, so involved in the world around them. I wonder if they're stoned. They've got to be stoned, right? It was becoming almost impossible for me to imagine that other people, let alone myself, could be happy or content with and in their lives unless they were altered in some way and or in an incredibly meaningful relationship as these two guys, in my eyes, were. One of those couples where it's Not hard, I think, to intuit a sense of how a two-person configuration might become a single-soul entity, having ideally transcended somewhat their individual ego cages for the sake of the relationship itself, and or (laughs) um, being altered by some sort of substance, right? DMT, cannabis, whatever. that year, and for some time after, my life felt as if it was permanently on hold, a pause without end, and also that I would never really be able to get over the breakup until I could face the ongoing mental and emotional turmoil of Nadia's abandonment and permanent stonewalling without the assistance of my green girlfriend, who had stepped in to try and make things better for me, but was only really adding to the fix I was in. This replacement relationship, this on-the-rebound relationship, if you like, the relationship I had with my green girlfriend, clearly wasn't going to be a sustainable option, noticing the way that we were now engaging with each other. For I began, as many couples do, to take for granted her care and assistance, maybe in the same way that I had taken for granted Nadia's care and assistance, who knows? And this spelled for me either a breakup or a breakdown, neither of which the holding pattern of my functional addiction was allowing me to do. Functional in the sense that I could still work and meet all of my obligations, even whilst using cannabis every evening and on the weekends. The problem was that I didn't want to break up with my green girlfriend for good. I loved her and I still love her, but neither could we continue in this way together, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish till death do us part. No. Something had to change. Love is a beautiful thing. Winter's rage has softened into spring. Love is a beautiful thing. And on your hand I see that 